it reads as follows. I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says, And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Verse 30 says, even so will it also be with thee in the days when the Son of Man is revealed. So we understand here that Jesus is the speaker here, and as he's teaching this message, he's in this particular case, he's, he's explaining to the Pharisees uh, about when he returns. Now, obviously, he's there with them, and he is preaching and teaching in front of them, but he keeps speaking of leaving, going away. He starts to tell of, of how he will suffer and then die, but that he will rise again. But then after having risen, he speaks of leaving and coming back. And so then here he's saying that even so when the Son of Man is revealed, he's referring to when he comes back and is revealed a second time. Now this wasn't the only time that Jesus made reference to these things because he also taught this uh, again uh, in response to his disciples. The disciples were walking with him one day and as they were walking past the temple, they began to admire the buildings and Jesus responded and told them that, 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 that not one stone of the, of the temple would be left on another and that puzzled them, so they came privately and asked him, uh, four of them, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, came and asked him privately and said, Jesus, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your, your return? And what will be the sign of the end of the age? That is recorded in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24, verse 36 through 39. Jesus makes the same reference that we just read. He says, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Verse 38, he says, for as in the days before the flood, they were eating and they were drinking, they were marrying, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they as, and did not know until the flood came. That's key. He says they did not know, although Noah had been teaching and teaching, they did not know until the flood actually began to happen. At that point, it was too late. And it came and took them all away. So also will it be the coming of man, the coming of the Son of Man. So he says that even though there's already been foretold many things about the end of days, about the end times, that so many people will still be going about life and they will be unaware that Jesus' return is near and when he comes, he's going to catch them by surprise. They're not going to be watchful and concerned with their soul, their soul's salvation and what will take place because ultimately, he says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be when I return. Now, here's the thing I want to point out because in the context of this, because Jesus is saying this, it doesn't mean that it, it has to happen. So it's not that he's saying, I'm speaking this into existence. No, what he's saying is that he saw it and therefore he spoke it. So I want to clarify that because those who are critics of God might say, oh, well, why would God declare the world to have to be destruction? Why would he just declare that, we, that all of those folks would be deceived? No, he didn't declare it would be so. He declared it because he saw it, because he looked and saw that this will take place. He's not saying that it's, he's not telling it to take place. He's saying that it will take 
actually saw it taking place. I want to be clear there. Because part of what he did also, when he's telling us this in this passage, as he's preaching this sermon here on the Olivet Mount of Olivet, he then goes on to forewarn after he makes this statement. He says this in verse 42. He says, watch. So because I'm telling you in, in advance, he says you got to be watching, you got to be paying attention. You got to stand up and pay attention. One of the things that we all must do when we find that we've been given a warning is to be, be cautious of it. So he says, watch therefore for you. Do not know the hour your Lord is coming. We just sung and, and had a, a phenomenal time in our praise talking about how we can't wait to walk around heaven and shout around heaven when we get there. But the thing is, he says, you got to be watching for the coming. You got to be ever anticipating one day he's coming back. He says, so watch because you don't know when he's coming. He's coming, but you got to be watchful in that. The next thing he goes on to say in verse 42, he says, therefore, you are to be ready. So watch, be ready. You got to be watching and you got to get yourself ready. Now, ready implies something. Because he says you gotta, you also should be ready, which means that you, you can also not be ready. That he's coming at a time, but you must be ready when he comes. And the question is, ready, am I ready? I asked a question a couple weeks ago. If the Lord were to come tonight while you were sleeping, and, and you were awakened by a trumpet, because the Bible says there's going to be a great shout from heaven. And then it says there's going to, the trump of God is going to sound. It's going to be the sound of a trumpet that will be, be, be a, a calling for the coming of a king. That if that would have happened, matter of fact, if that would have happened right now in this moment, sitting right here on this glorious, beautiful day, what if Jesus' day to come was today and he opened up the sky today and you heard a shout while I'm still preaching and there was a shout and a trumpet sounding would you be ready because he says therefore therefore means go back and look at what's been said go back and consider what's been already stated therefore because you don't know the hour because men and women will still be going about life as usual because he's coming as a thief in the night because this is true therefore be ready for the Son of Man comes at an hour that you don't expect. A time that you don't expect. Because many people are waiting and watching to see. For them, they're waiting to see a certain amount of things happen, certain things to happen for them that it will say to them that, that Jesus is coming. Whatever that may be in their mind, if they see this happening, they say this thing. I've often had people call, uh, talk to me and ask me questions about what do I think about the news? So they watch the news and they see what's going on. They say, what about, what do you think about that? And they're looking to find out if, if this thing or these things are indicators, but the truth of the matter is, he says he's coming at a time you don't expect. There will be things that will let you know he's coming. But here's what Paul said. Paul says it's going to come like birth pains. I'm going to borrow you today, daughter. Would you stand up? Come on, stand up, you know. You don't want pregnant as far as I know. Turn around, let them see them. Now, the other night we were talking, I said, I said, uh, how you feeling? She said, whoo. I said, don't, don't do that. You pray for this. But that little boy is getting big. He's pushing room around. 
But watch this. Even though the doctors have told her a day. And even though she's starting to show signs, she doesn't know at the moment that that baby starts coming. She could be at Walmart. She could be driving down the street. She could be at work. But when that time comes, he said, Paul said, it will come as birth pains upon a woman. Thank you. So what he's telling us is that there will be things that will show us evidence that the time is here. And that's what I'm trying to do through this message. To help you understand, there's evidence that it's coming, but we don't know the day or the hour. We must just be ready. One of the things women do before get, when they know they're getting drawn near, they'll pack a suitcase or a bag and keep it near the door. Because I'm going to have to stay at the hospital a couple of days. We don't want to be scrambling, trying to get things together. want to just grab it and go. Because I want to be ready. We understand that the days of, uh, of Noah, we, we, we looked at, uh, for those that hadn't been here, I'm trying to just go back and get some understanding. So we looked at also at, at the summation of those days of Noah. And that pretty much can be summed up uh, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 uh, through 13, 5, 11, 12, and 13. You find here, and there it speaks of wickedness uh, in a great capacity or sinfulness in a great capacity. Evil intent, that the intent, that, 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 that there's all these efforts to try to create or to nurture and or to propagate evil. The earth is filled with violence. We all understand that as we look around and watch the news that every, every city in America uh, is, is, is faced with the probability of being able to break its records in terms of the amount of, of violence that is taking place on its streets. And it is not just in the hood, it's in suburbia, it's everywhere. It's not just the Middle East, it's the Far East, it's the Southeast, it's all over. And then the corruption, corruptness before God will be at a great level. We see those things that that's, that was what was taking place before the ark, while the ark was being built and while God said, this is why I'm going to send rain. The next thing, then, if we understand that these are the things that describe the time of Noah, then Paul, the apostle Paul, instructs us and gives us an idea of what we can expect before Jesus comes. He says, but in the, know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. He says, in the last days, perilous times will come. We define what perilous means. That word perilous actually speaks of reduced strength. Notice this now. That is within that word. It's a, it's a combination, a compound. The, the part of that compound of this word brings into that the definition the loss or the reduction of strength. Because many people are feeling weak in their faith, they're feeling weak, and they're feeling as though they are unable to keep on pressing until the end. So that reduction of strength is a part of perilous times. Difficult times. Perilous times means difficult. It means dangerous. It means furious times. People are furious, short-tempered, going off even over the smallest things. Fierce times that enough punishment is not enough punishment. I got to give you some more punishment. I got to be furious in my in my pursuit of you to harm and do you harm. So we understand that in Genesis, though, that even though that was the world that Noah was living in, the word clearly states that but Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord. So see, here's the thing. Then in spite of what's going on, God will always have a remnant in the in the earth. 
And the question is, the remnant are the people, the question of who are those remnant? They are the born again, spirit filled, God loving, God serving, God pursuing, God faithful men and women who will continue to hold up the bloodstained banner and continue to say, I will trust in the Lord until I die. I will still, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation. Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord and here's the reason. The Bible speaks of why Noah found that grace. He found grace in the sight of the Lord because Noah, he came to understand something. He said, God has been telling me that he's getting ready to send rain. And now I want to tell you all. So as we can see in the, in the photo here, Noah's standing there. And notice how disinterested the people are. Notice how they're still just going about looking at, oh, look at this, this guy. He's preaching and teaching. They're disinterested in his message. And the thing about it is, unlike many who criticize the church, they'll criticize uh, or use, use uh, the, the example of certain people who have fallen in leadership as reason as to why they no longer believe, no longer pursue faith like they used to. But the thing is, there, God will always have people that will stand up and will continue to walk with him. So that you have an example, because yes, we can all find an example why we don't do, but, but God will always have an example for why you should do. Because here's what the word of God said about Noah. Noah walked with God. Even though everybody else was filled, filled with violence and corrupt and they were going about their own way. But Noah walked with God. He found grace because he understood that no matter what's going on in the world, I'm staying with you, Jesus. See, you've got to come to that, convince yourself and be settled in your mind no matter what happens, come hell or high water, no matter what takes place in my life, Jesus, I'm staying with you. Because Paul says, I will let nothing separate me from the love of God. Nor height, nor death. He said, family, I'm, if I'm broke, if I'm fat, no matter if, if I'm sick, if somebody dies, I don't care, I'm staying with you, Jesus. Word says Noah walked with the Lord. And look what it says. It said Noah was just. He did, he, he did right. He wasn't perfect, but he did right. Just means a man justified and standing in right standing with God. Maintaining that. Because you can never understand what it means to walk with God until you have committed yourself to stay with him. Because the Bible says no, no, two, no two can walk together unless they are in agreement. So if God's saying, I need you to go right, and you saying left, y'all ain't in agreement. Two can't walk together unless they're in agreement. Jesus said, listen, I need you to, to hold up the, I need you to hold a standard in your life. And you're like, well, but I don't, I don't really feel that, Jesus. I, I, I know grace is sufficient. He said, wait a minute, though. God forbid that you treat grace like that. Grace is the one thing you have that you should never want to try to use. God has given us grace, but he says, you shouldn't, you should, don't, don't waste it now. Don't mess around with it. Don't just do in the name of doing because you know there's grace. Because here's what the word says. It says that when you sin willfully after coming into the knowledge of the truth, after the Holy Spirit convicts you and tells you you are wrong and you continue to do it, he said there remains no more sacrifice for that sin. Because it's just like saying whatever. I'll crucify Jesus again and again. 
because Jesus died for sin. And when we trample what he did underfoot, it's as though we're saying, get back on that cross again. Noah walked with God. Know this first. Because, see, we understand, we've looked at what Jesus had to say about it. But Peter had something he wanted to chime in in terms of the last days. Look what he had to say in, in, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. He says, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust. Note what I just say there. I just said that, that you two can't walk together unless they're in the... I, my, my desire, my desire must be for Jesus. Jesus, how would you have me to do? What would you have me to do? He said, but in the last days, men will scoff at God. Walking and doing their own thing. Saying, ah, you don't have to do it. It don't take all of that. Oh, it, it, you know, that's just too much. You're a fanatic. No, you're just doing too much. No, wait a minute. You cannot do enough for Jesus. Because somebody said one time that if I had 10,000 tongues, I couldn't thank him enough. So how is it possible that you can do too much for Jesus? But scoffers will come. Peter said in the last day, scoffers will come and they'll walk according to their own desires. We also looked at this last week where, 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 where Paul said, listen, uh, and, I, and I use the King James Version because I love the way uh, it's written there. It says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue? Shall we continue doing the things we already know that are against God? Sin is that which is against God. Sin is that which is disobedient. He says, he says shall we continue doing this stuff? That grace has to keep being poured on it? He said, God forbid you do that. He said, God forbid that we should continue to walk in things we already know God has shown us are wrong. Look what he said. God forbid, how should we that are dead to sin? Wait a minute. Living any longer therein. See, there's a lost sense of what it means to know Jesus. Because, see, many people have been taught that all you need to do is come up, make a confession, go through the water, and then just wait. Just wait, he coming one day, just wait. But the thing is, Jesus said this first. He said, if anyone wants to come after me, he got to do something first. He has to deny, she has to deny his or herself. You got to stop living your own way and living it the way you want to do it and how you want to do it. He said, if you want to follow me, you got to deny you. Because that's what Paul is talking about. He said, because see, the reality of baptism is that it's supposed to represent a watery grave. That you're saying, I have died to my old life and my old way of sin. And I'm resurrecting. When I come up out of that water, I'm letting the world know my new life now is to live according to what Jesus has instructed. He says, so how should we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Uh, it's, let's, let's keep reading that. I don't know if you turned there or not, but there in that Romans chapter 6, uh, two verses, the next two verses, he actually explains that. Let me share that with you real quick. If you don't have it there, turn there real quick. Romans chapter 6. What should we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How should we who are dead to sin live any longer therein? Or do you not know, verse 3 says, or do you not know as many of us as were baptized 
into Christ, were baptized into his death. He said, when you got baptized, see, you went in the water, but you were actually making the declaration that I'm dying. I've died to my old way. So when you went in that water, you went down as a, de- as a woman or a man dying. But look what he said. Verse, verse, four, verse 4 says, Therefore we were buried. There that word is death and buried. That's a grave. A watery grave. He said, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we should also walk in the newness of life, that you should be different. Even so, just like Christ was raised up, he says, you ought to be walking in a new life as well. So we make all kinds of excuses, blaming it on our humanity. Well, ain't nobody perfect again. We all struggle with something. Yes, that is true. But you know what a struggle is? Brother Sylvester, let me see. I'm going to use this couple twice. Both halves of this, this piece. Come on. So everybody struggles, right? We say, well, everybody struggles. Now, so I'm going to, the first thing, I want you to resist me. Be, be gentle, brother. Don't, don't lock my teeth out We just want to give the example, okay? But the next time, I want you to just give in. Okay? So the first thing here is that the idea that Paul is saying is that if we're dead to it, we no longer are living in this lifestyle, this way. There has to be a struggle in your life. So the thing is, I'm trying to take him somewhere. but he's struggling, he's resisting. Because as long as you're in this flesh, that's what's going to be happening. The Bible says the flesh is lusting against the spirit. The spirit is saying, come on, come on. The, spirit is, the, the flesh is struggling. But watch this now. When I just give in to wrong, now I know I shouldn't be doing this. I know I should be going. I know I need to stop this. But I'm not struggling. I'm not wrestling with it. I'm just walking in it. Paul said, thank you, sir. He said, that's what I'm trying to get you to understand. If you're dead to sin, you don't just walk in it. Temptation might still be there, but you got to be fighting that thing. When you don't just walk, when you've given up to it or given into it, then you're no longer struggling. So you can no longer use the example of, oh, everybody struggles. Because you ain't struggling. Struggling is when you, when you see something, oh, I got, uh-uh. Struggling with somebody come up, you know, hey, hey, uh-uh. What about, uh, 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 young lady said, oh, what, what is that cologne you're wearing? I said, oh, my wife bought it. Everybody want attention? Come on now, you, y'all spend all your money on, on weaves and nails and know you want some attention. Everybody wants some, right? So when you get attention, you gotta, be, you gotta say, wait a minute now, that ain't the right attention. That ain't the, well, my, uh, my, 
my brother used to say tension. That is the right tension. Took the, took the A off. Tension, just tension. But you got to make sure you say, wait a minute, hold on. Oh, no, 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 no. Why? Because I am still crucified with Christ. No longer it is I who live, but it's Christ living in me. And the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, watch this, and gave himself to me. See, the thing that keeps me faithful is realizing that what Jesus did for me. See, the thing is, people of God, we have to move away from always having to be paid to do something for Jesus. Okay, let me say it again. We have to move away from always being paid to do something for Jesus. Do you realize why, do you know why volunteerism is down in the church? Because it don't pay. You want me to serve and help the youth and you want me to uh, be in the children's ministry? You want me to, um, yeah, you don't have no time for that. But he says, the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. What Jesus did for us, you can never repay that. You can never repay it. So you have to be like the psalmist. And you say, what can I render unto the Lord for all his benefits towards me? What can I give you, Jesus? The brother shared his testimony about tithing. What can I offer you, Lord? I know this little 10% ain't, ain't enough because what you did for me. The other thing that Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord, he, he, gave, he found sight, grace in the sight of the Lord because the word says he obeyed God. See, if we understand something, we got to recognize. See, many of us, we, 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 just, we don't obey God. We don't listen to him. We don't even ask him for his opinion. And, and God forbid if he tell us what to do, we all, oh, you know, you got to pray for me. Here's something I heard the other day. I was talking to a, a pastor, and he was telling me, a pastor, he was telling me that, that uh, his relative, they moved to a new area for the last, they've been out there for several years, he said. And here's what he said. They still hadn't found them a church. Wait a minute for a second. He said they still hadn't found them a church. And the thing is, there's a problem. Because 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says that the Holy Spirit chooses your church. So it's actually an indictment against them that they've been out there that long that they won't listen to the Holy Spirit. You don't believe it. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 real quick. Let me just share that with you. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I quoted a lot, but I don't, I don't turn there a lot because I assume y'all, you, you got it, but let, let's just look at it real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 18. The Holy Spirit chooses the, the church for you. Watch this now. He says, but now God has set the members each one of them in the body just as what? As he pleases. God says, here's where I need your gifts, your talents, your ability in the kingdom over here. In the body over here. 
He's the, I haven't decided, Paul, that whole lesson is on, on the body of Christ and how the body does not choose. He said, listen, God is the one who chooses. He chooses your church. He said, Lord, is this the place you want me to be? Is this what you'd have me to be, Lord? Because notice what, what, Noah, what it says about Noah. Noah says, and uh, thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him. So he did. He said, God, what you want me to do? The reason that Noah was held in high esteem because if God told him to do something, he said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. So Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord. Now, that was, a, that was a synopsis of what we've been covering for the last couple of weeks. And so I want to share this because we ended last week. The, the, we talked last week about how Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And how the fact that many of us do not associate preaching with Noah because we assume that he was a carpenter. We just say Noah was a carpenter because he built an ark. The Bible does not name him as a carpenter. We assume he has some skill. But the reality is what the Bible identifies Noah as is a preacher. That Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. That's how, that's how he's identified in the scriptures as a preacher of righteousness. He also, in, in, in Hebrews 11, he's identified as a man of great faith because it took great faith for him to continue to do what God told him to do in spite of the fact he didn't see any results. There's a testimony right there for somebody because oftentimes when we believe in God for something, we don't see any results, we feel like we should give up. The reality is Noah didn't see any rain while he was building the ark. There was no rivers overflowing to kind of give him the knowledge of kind of remind him, hey, keep on going, Noah. He continued to preach righteousness. And the thing is, he preached righteousness. Now, there's another man that's recorded in the scriptures who came along preaching righteousness. That man's name was John the Baptist. He came and said, repent. For the kingdom of the Lord is at hand. And notice this, that John the Baptist came and preached for, uh, righteousness, repentance, before salvation came. Because God was mapping out his plan for salvation. Because when you understand this, understand this and hold this in your heart, that repentance must always precede salvation. See, Noah was preaching repentance. He was preaching righteousness. Why? Because God was getting ready to send his salvation in the way of the ark. Yes. So John the Baptist came and preached salvation. Uh, I'm sorry, preached righteousness for, uh, and repentance right before Jesus came on the scene and began to preach salvation from God. Yes. So God will always preach repentance and righteousness before he's offering an opportunity for salvation. But look what it says about Noah in Peter, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, says, and he did, did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. This week I want to share with you in, in more in depth and, and point out, to add to our, our, our journey, this very statement. Noah, one of eight people. When we started out, I had you to declare eight. Had everyone say it again with me, eight. Okay, now let's look at this. Go back to that verse again. Now look what it's, read it with that in mind. It says, and did not spare the ancient world, but save Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness. Here's what I would ask you to consider as we go into this next segment. 
the word here states that God saved Noah and his, and his wife, his three sons, and his three sons' wife. The question that I want to ask you was, or is rather, was it always only eight? Because if we understand what Jesus says is as it was in the day of Noah, so shall it be before the Son of Man returns. Paul has some things that he gives as a description of the days before the return of Christ in the last days that speak of a falling away. So I'm asking the question, I want you to ponder this for a moment, that was it only eight or were there others? Because it, we assume that no one, it was just Noah and his sons and his daughters, uh, daughter-in-laws and his wife building on the ark. But were there others there at some point who then also fell away? Because Paul says there's going to be a great falling away before Jesus comes. And Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be before I return. Let's explore that with you while you ponder it. First Peter chapter three, verse 20. For the formerly were disobedient when once they divine long suffering waited in the days of Noah. He says, God's divine long suffering. There's, a, there's another word that Peter references that later because he says, God is not slack over in second Peter chapter three in verse eight. He says, God is not slack concerning his promises, but he's long suffering. Here he talks about that God's long suffering, that the reason that it took that long for Noah to prepare the ark is because God was long suffering with the people giving them an opportunity, and he says, but only a few, that is, eight souls were saved. Even though Noah walked upright, even though he demonstrated what it looked like to walk with God, even though he preached, he had a lifestyle that followed his preaching, he had a lifestyle that followed his teaching, and yet only seven people. Endure to the end because Jesus says he who endures to the end will be saved. Genesis 8 and 8 records how many people came out of the ark. So Noah went out of the ark, his sons, his wife, and his son's wives, and himself eight. Only eight people. Now, I want you to see this because these next few verses are very critical. As remember, the title of the message is As in the Days of Noah. Keep that in mind. The message is As in the Days of Noah. So shall it be when the Son of Man returns. Now I'm going to show you what Paul has to say about what will be taking place before Jesus comes back. Turn, if you would, with me over to First, uh, Second Timothy chapter four. Second Timothy chapter four. Stay with me. I'm I'm almost done because I'm gonna leave this in your in your spirit that you might wrestle with. Uh, I'll be able to retain this and then return next week to get the rest. As in the days of Noah were, so shall it also be. Now here's what Paul has to say in, in first, Second Corinthians chapter four verse three. He says, "Listen." For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, sound teaching. So Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Now hear this now. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And Paul said in the last days, men will not endure sound preaching, sound teaching. Noah was a preacher. 
And, and Paul is saying, as it was, uh, uh, he says, in this day, men will not endure a sound preaching, sound teaching. So the truth is, uh, or we could, uh, let me restate that. So we should consider the fact that, that if Paul is saying that in the last days, men will not hear, good, hear sound teaching. Were there others with Noah who, heard, who was listening and hearing, but they didn't endure? They didn't endure the sound teaching because as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be. That if Paul is saying in our day, men will not hear, watch what it says, but according to their own desires, they will heap up, they will have, because they have itching ears, they don't want to hear any conviction. They don't want to hear any word that tells them that they need to get right. They need to do better. They need to pursue God. They need to lay aside every weight. They just want to hear that everything is all right. He says, because they have itching ears, they only want to hear the things that sound good. Here's the thing that's, that's critical today that's different because ultimately, you, I have about an hour, uh, uh, 40, 45, 30, 45 minutes on Sunday and another 30, 45 minutes on, on, on Tuesday nights. I have about an hour and a half to help you, but you have YouTube, you have streaming, you have all these other methods, Facebook Live, that are other things that you listen to that are not sound doctrine. And it sounds better than what I'm saying, so you don't even come to hear me no more. You stay at home and you watch your YouTube, you watch your stream, you watch your, your podcast. Why? Because it's itching. My ear is itching, I need to scratch it. He says, but they will heap up for themselves, teachers. Heap up means to build up. Build up. Don't you don't don't miss a don't miss a stream. You don't miss a, a watch. You don't miss you, you watch and you like and subscribe. Why? Because he says they will heap up, build up for themselves teachers. And they will turn, watch this verse 4. Turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Things that are not even biblically accurate. Things that are not even sound teaching, sound doctrine, but they sound good, they feel good, and they make me feel so good. It shouts me every time. Ooh. I can bless it now. Ooh. Unfortunately, the church has done itself a disservice as a whole because we move in the, in the, in the 80s, the, 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 the late 70s, the 80s, and the 90s, we moved into this ideology of entertainment. You come to church to be entertained. And when it no longer entertains you, then you, it's no longer valuable to you. It's giving, turn the ears away from the truth. Giving heed to fables. Turn to 1 Timothy. This is good. 1 Timothy chapter number 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. I'm having you to, to get these in your notes because I want you to go back and spend time pondering this yourself. One of the things that I, I, I'm very adamant about is making sure that the word we share is, is biblically sound and accurate to the scriptures. The Bible says we should study and, and teach the word line upon line and precept upon precept. That's why I systematically walk you through and take you on a journey as we learn because it's supposed to be building upon another. 
First Timothy chapter four, verse one and two. Look what it says. Now, the spirit expressly says, here we go now. He says the Holy Spirit is, is, is the one preaching this. Paul says the Holy Spirit is telling me this. He said the, the Holy Spirit has expressly said that in latter times, some will depart from the faith. Think about that for a moment. People who used to be faithful. They have their own, own um, uh, um, definition of what it means to, to, to serve the Lord, to walk with him. Departure from the faith. Watch this now. Giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. See, the thing is, we all want to have a good old spirit. We want to feel something all the time. But he says, giving heed to deceiving spirits. John said that we should try the spirits whether there be of God. There's, so there means that all kinds of spirits that are speaking, all kind of spirits that are moving, but he says, and those who have been departing from truth don't want to hear sound doctrine, he said that they, they give heed to deceiving spirits. But here's where it gets critical. Doctrines of demons. The, a doctrine is systematic teaching. There's literally doctrines systematic teachings in the church that were birthed, that were that are being taught, that are being guided, and that are being propagated by demons. He says, giving heed to deceiving spirits and listening in, buying into doctrines, systematic teachings, whole books, whole libraries on this stuff that are from demons. And notice he says, this is in the last days. So we go back to, as in the days of Noah, so shall it be that before the Son of Man returns, in the last days the Spirit says, men will give, give heed to doctrines of demons. Verse 2 says, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. So no matter how hard you preach, no matter how hard I'm teaching, no matter how plain I try to make it, your conscience been, their conscience has been seared. It doesn't bother them one bit. Right of fact, would not often go to sleep. I wish he would shut his mouth. Because their conscience has been seared with a hot iron. It no longer bothers them. The way that they're going, how they're doing what they're doing, it no longer concerns them or bothers them. Because it says, so, so we understand here that, that this is, the Bible refers to this, or, or theologians re refer to this, well, what I just read for you, as the great apostasy. The great apostasy, or the great falling away. Church attendance are down, churches are closing. Churches are closing, there are projections of churches closing by the thousands. Uh, here's the thing that, about our history as a church. We're standing, we're in a building right now. In, in our 16 years, all three of the buildings that we have, have, have acquired and purchased have been buildings where the church closed. This building, the church closed. Started in 1961. Flourished and grew 
and expanded and, and, and all that, but it's closed. But why? Because attendance, people are no longer coming. They're no longer concerned. He said, well, no, they're, they're going to other places. No, they're not. The same is happening even in mega churches. The thing is, this is a smokescreen because you don't see this, you don't know this, because here's the thing. If you have 20,000 members, hear this now, please. If you have 20,000 members and 1,000 people stop coming, you still got 19. So it still seems like things are going well. Another 1,000 leave, still got 18. But notice the number. 2,000 people are no longer walking in their faith and confidence but it still looks okay. So let's say 5,000 leave, you still got 15. It still looks like everything's okay. While in the meantime, if the church is only 50 people, if five people leave, it's, only, it's down to 40, 45 rather. If five more leave, now you're down to 40. If five more leave, now you're down to 35. Five more leave, now you're down to 30, and the church can't, can't sustain anymore because it can no longer support the cost of, 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 of coming together. And so it closes. The great falling away. It's happening right now. Now let's go back to this. So now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons criticizing those who speak the truth in love. Paul, Paul, that's, but that's, this was not the only time that Paul made this reference. He also made this reference in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. Look what it says. He says, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day, he's talking about the day of Christ, will not come unless the great, the falling away comes first. So, so here's what happened. In, this, in, in Thessalonica, there were some teachers that there were some teachers that had come in and started teaching that the, that the rap, that, that, that Christ had already returned, and so some of the Christians were starting to be worried because they were saying, "Man, they, they're telling us that, that Jesus already returned and we missed him." So Paul said, "Listen, don't 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 believe that. Don't let anybody bother you with that." He says, "Don't don't let them deceive you by any means, for that great day will not come unless a falling away happens." He says that before before Jesus comes, there's going to be a great falling away that will happen. Second, 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 second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3 is, is Paul's uh, another opportunity where he's saying, listen, there's going to be a falling away before Jesus returns. Look at this last one, these last couple. Uh, second Peter chapter 3, you don't have to turn there, but just would write it in your notes. Uh, please look at here. You can, you can go in and confirm and make sure that I've got it accurate, but I, I, I assure you that I do. Peter says, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lusts. He says, in the last days, people are going to do it their own way. How, how it makes me feel is what I'm doing. I'm only rolling with what makes me feel good. Uh, I'm only rolling with what makes me feel good. Pastor Marnie's so negative. He's so negative. He, all this negativity, I just can't take it. I got to give me some rest. I got to give me some air. <sighs> this is not negativity. Let me help you understand. This is sounding the trumpet, which I'm not of the only one, and, and there's supposed to be more. 
every man, woman who claims to be speaking on behalf of God, the Holy Spirit is expressly saying this. He is saying it, but it's not popular, and many will not tell you because it, it doesn't fill up the pews. They won't say it because you'll stop giving to them. You stop tuning in. You stop streaming them. You stop liking them on Facebook. You stop sharing it with your friends. Why? Because nobody wants to hear it. But somebody does. Because it must be declared that, that these are things that have been foretold. And Jesus says, I'm telling you this so you will know it and it won't catch you off guard. I know what happens. I know people that have left and oh, Pastor, he just, oh, I mean, every, every time about the end times all the time, and he's constantly talking about get right and get ready and just make sure you're saved. That's what we're supposed to do. Paul says, told Timothy, he says, he says, convince, rebuke, and reprove. That's, that's the, that threefold responsibility of every pastor, preacher, teacher is supposed to be convincing you, rebuking you, or reproving you, meaning to reapprove or make certain that you know the truth. That is what he said to do. But he that endures to the end be saved. I want to share this with you because here's the reality. There are many people who are sitting in pews today who don't even know it, but they've already backslid in their heart. They're backslidden in their heart because they're doing it their way. They're going about like this, going according to their own lust. They've already backslidden, but because they still operate, they still know the stuff they've always known. They know how to say the stuff, say the right thing. They still know how to come to the worship place. They know how to still serve in their capacity, still have what they do it. But, but, but the Bible says they've already backslidden in their hearts. Proverbs 14 and 14, look what it says. The backslider in heart will be filled with what? His own ways. I'm only going to do it my way. I don't care what you said, Jesus. I don't care what your word says. But, you know, I got a, I got a special relationship with the Lord. And I, and I know I know he's, he's telling me he's telling me to do what I'm doing. And what I'm doing is against scripture. But he's telling me to do it. What I'm doing is against the word. But I'm saying God is telling me to do it. Try the spirits. Whether they be of God. Hear this now because we're talking about the eight. And I want you to hear this. Matthew chapter, this is Jesus speaking. Now understand this. Jesus came to bring salvation to the world. And yet listen to what Jesus taught. Please hear this. In Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Verse 13 and 14. Matthew chapter 7. Watch this now. He says, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. He said, listen, there's a broad way. See, in our society, we equate numbers with right. The more people are doing it, we assume it must be right. And yet Jesus taught, when you see too many people doing it, you got to take caution. 
Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads where? Destruction. And he says, and there are many who go in by. He said, there are going to be many on that road. But look what he said in verse 14. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way. See, that's, see people teach you today, there's, there's a doctrine that says, oh, you're supposed to have no trouble. You and Jesus, you're going to have no trouble. The word says difficult is the way. Difficult what? The struggle I showed you with Brother, brother, brother Sylvester. Sin is going to always be on you. Trying to get you to draw, draw your way. We got to continue to resist the devil. Then he'll flee from you. Difficult is the way. Stand on the straight and the narrow. We should say that all the time. Stay on the straight and narrow. Difficult is the way. And watch this. Which leads to life. What do you think he's talking about? Anybody talking about having a good life? Or do you think he's talking about eternal life? And there are few, there's the word we wanted, few, because in Noah's day there was eight. Jesus said in our day, few. Now, Jesus, what does Jesus' few mean? Does it mean another eight? Does it mean 145,000, 144,000? Does it mean a million, two million? What does he mean? He says, but broad is the way, the majority will not find the way. Why? Because they will not want to hear and endure sound doctrine. Last thing before we go. Turn to Jude. It's the last book before Revelation. It's only one chapter. In many Bibles, it's only one page or so. So you may miss it. Jude. Right before Revelation. It's the second book second to the last book of the Bible. Hear this. Jude verse 20. He says, but ye beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the, in the Holy Ghost. He said, you got to make sure you continue to build your faith and you're going to have to keep, keep your prayer life steady. Building yourself up on your most holy faith. How does faith come? By hearing what? Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So he says, you got to build yourself up through the word of God. Because you build faith through the word. Build yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in in the Holy Ghost. Watch this now, verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God. So you got to continue to maintain this love you have for Jesus. You got to continue to pursue him and love him. It can't just be, oh, well, let me just get it done. You know, I, I know I, I, I got to get over there to the church or, oh, boy, let me get on out there. No, love has passion. He says you got to keep your passion for God. Fervor. People are laid back and lackadaisical about God, about worship, about service, about word, about praying, about evangelizing, about telling. See, the thing is, we talk about the end is coming, and, and we don't feel a need to tell anybody about Jesus. We walk by people who we can see are destitute. We hang out with them, and we know that they have no knowledge of truth. We know that they're not born again. And we hang out, and we have no passion for God enough to say, I love him so much, I want you to love him too. Yes, sir. 
See, this message is about evangelizing. This whole series is about evangelizing, about discipleship. Why? Because as in the days of Noah, people will not come to faith, but we are charged with giving them the truth that they might come to know Jesus. Sons and daughters that you know are not born again. You walk around and you, oh, well, they, they got baptized down at, at Low Down Baptist and they, they went over there at, at straight down and nowhere and, and, they, and they did this. You know, you've not seen the power of God in them. And you validate the fact that they are not saved, but you validate that, that where they are, they're conditioned by a soul. Yeah, we all here. Christians, we all here say, but you've never seen Jesus in them. This is looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus unto eternal life. He said that, that we got to build our faith up and we got to continue to point people towards eternal life. We got to continue to let people know that Jesus is coming. And there won't be a second chance. There won't be a time for them to get it right. You will have to be ready when it comes. You got to be ready. And he's given all these warnings to say, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. See, the thing is, once you come, see, because as we say this, you may feel like, oh, God, you know, but here's the thing, there is, there's hope in this message. Because if you want to be kept, God will keep you. You got to want to, you got to want it. Just like with any relationship, you got to want it. You got to treat it like you want it. You got to treat it like, it value, like you value it. Because look what the word says in verse 22. 24 rather. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. See, if you, wanna, if you want Jesus, he wants you. Here's the thing. Let me share this with you. Please hear this. In James chapter 5, the word says, if you draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to you. Stop now. Watch this now. Because there's a, there's a, uh, there's a whole nother teaching anymore that God is chasing people down. Chasing you down. He's been chasing after me. He chasing. No, you're supposed to be chasing him. God is not chasing anybody down. If he was chasing, you realize when God chases, he changes everything? He's not chasing anybody. Jesus says, whosoever is willing, let him come. Do you remember, did Jesus chase anybody? He went about teaching and preaching and performing miracles, and the people saw it and they believed. But if God is able to keep you from falling, watch this, and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power both now and forever. He said, listen, if you want Jesus, he wants you. He wants you. Stand to your feet. And if you have Jesus, he's able to keep you. 
See, there's no loss in the sense that, oh, God, I just want to make it. If you want to be kept, he'll keep you. The Bible says Noah walked with the Lord. 